Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Bick Nazar here in the Kintech studio. A Friday. You know what that means. A mailbag is upcoming. Keep those questions getting in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox 650-650 or at Dan Richo underscore and at Bick Nazar on Twitter. Bick stepping in for sat here on this Friday afternoon. What's happening? I'm all good. I'm, I, I've never sat on this side of the desk, though. Never on this side of the desk? No, I'm usually always on, in your spot. Now, like, my whole world's throw, thrown <laughs> off. The Dan Cluche bobblehead looks a lot better behind you than it does behind Sat. I don't know why. Matt Cook is also there. Right. Who brought these bobbleheads? How do we have a Matt Cook bobblehead in why the studio? Why not? Looks great. We got the twins ones. Yes. <laughs> the twins look very angry. Anyways. Very serious. Very serious. That must have been taken during the 2015, 2016, 17 years. <laughs> they kind of look like Mark McGuire as much as they look like Daniel and <laughs> Henrik Sedin. Uh, but in any case, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You want to get in, uh, you can there. Questions, comments uh, for everything we are going to discuss along the show today. Yannick Hansen going to join us uh, after 530, so you want to stay tuned for that, Yannick always bringing the fire and mailbag coming up after five o'clock. But I was thinking this morning when I woke up and saw the news of the Philadelphia Flyers making uh, a change to their president and general manager. Chuck Fletcher is out. Daniel Briere is currently the interim and they're going to take a new direction forward. So I was talking with a few people and... Somebody asked me, why won't the Canucks be the Flyers in a couple of years? Because both teams are seen similarly, Bick, in they are trying to maybe keep open a window that isn't necessarily there. That's been the story with the Flyers for a long time now. Perpetual mediocrity? Yep, perpetual mediocrity refusing to rebuild, refusing to stare at the obvious answers that are in front of them. And now they may be forced into that. I mean, they've been at or near the bottom of the standings for a while, and maybe they're going to help it along in the next couple of years. At least that's the thinking of where they might be headed after this change. So I'll pose the question to you. Why won't the Canucks be where the Flyers are Let's say two years, three years from now. This version of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yes. Feels completely different than this version of the Vancouver Canucks. They're like neck and neck in the standings. Sure. Yeah. But for for where, because the, the one thing that we just said, like that perpetual mediocrity, right? Yeah. What's the term everyone likes to use? Mushy middle. Mm-hmm. You're not meant to be in the mushy middle. There's 32 teams. Someone's going to exist in there. But I do look at it as arrows. Do you have an arrow down? Do you have an arrow neutral? Or do you have an arrow up? In theory, yeah. the Vancouver Canucks, if they're in that mushy middle, and this is the point I was making on the postgame show recently, if they get to that mushy middle again next year, mm-hmm. they should soar past the St. Louis's of the world, the mm-hmm. Washington's of the world, the Phillies of the world. To be honest, like meet Calgary. And one of the things, including Philly, because a lot of those teams are missing superstars. They just do not have an Elias Pettersson, 
Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko. So to leapfrog that mushy middle or to get out of it, you need stars. Yeah. Who's the best player the Philadelphia Flyers have? Oh, that's in the lineup. That's the thing. Uh, even if, because well, even if you include Sean Couturier and Ryan Ellis, right. all due respect to those two players, they're not reliable now. Yeah, and Couturier uh, at his peak, you know, a Team Canada center for sure, one of the better defensive two-way centers in the game. Uh, but given the injuries, you wonder if he'll ever get back to that whenever he is able to get back onto the ice. And Ryan Ellis, for a long time, a really good right shot defenseman, maybe an underrated quality right shot defenseman, but never the level of Quinn Hughes. No. Right? Neither of those players would be to the level of Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes. But here in Vancouver, we talk about, okay, check on first-line center. Yeah. Check on franchise D-man. Check on... Franchise goalie. Goalie. Probably a check on first-line winger and check on another point-producing top six player. Yeah. How many checks do you give for the Philadelphia Flyers? One? The only argument you could make is Carter Hart is incomparable for Thatcher Demko. And that's still because... Because he's finally had a good season. And he's 24. Yeah. Now, he's not that far from from Thatcher Demko in age. So it's not like he's, oh, this young, burgeoning guy at 21 entering the league. It's still... 24 years old. They just don't have a lot of pieces. And and that's why I said this version of the Vancouver Canucks. The Philadelphia Flyers are the 2015 version of the Vancouver Canucks. That's what they are. And everyone in this market shouted from the rooftops, Rebuild! <laughs> and what happened? Yeah. I don't need to go through the long list of names. They did not. They, Narrator they, says they doubled did not. down and essentially... They're a year. They're a year removed from doubling down on a lot of problems. It's uh, it is the main difference between the two organizations. Now they are very similar in the standings. Uh, the Canucks have those pieces, but both teams straddling the salary cap ceiling, mm-hmm. right? Both teams. Without a deep prospect pool to say, this is the next wave that we are betting on. And that's the situation where it makes it very difficult to find answers as to how to build it out. But if in 2015 you told Canucks fans, yep. look, four or five years, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Would anyone have said, terrible idea? <laughs> You have uniform, and that's why in yeah. 2023, this conversation still persists because that never happened. And, and again, to be fair, it's not happening right now. And if you want to... Bl- it it happened, but it didn't happen on purpose. Yeah, they fell ass backwards into Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and that yes. Demko. And that's why I've made the point. It's like you have to forget the sins of the past. You you can't have post-bending stress disorder. <laughs> You can't you can't live in the past. Like Patrick Alvin did not and Jim Rutherford did not step into this job saying, Okay, so what happened in twenty fifteen? Yeah. What should we have done then that we can do in twenty twenty two? They stepped into this job and said, Okay, I have Elias Patterson, Queen Hughes, that's your Demko. How can I win a Stanley Cup? Yeah. That's the calculation that they have to make. It isn't I have H thirty four Daniel and Henrik Sedin and I have one prospect coming up in nineteen year old Bull Horvat. That's it, a different circumstance. The, the mistake wasn't um you know look. They were bad anyways, even though they tried to not be as bad as they ended up being. 
they fell into a couple of great top end picks in Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. You know, arguably guys that you'd be happy to take as a top three selection, which the Canucks never did have through all of those lean years. But even if, you know, you include the Vertanen pick and the Alevi pick, the other top end draft choices that didn't work out for the Vancouver Canucks, that's fine. You know, they, they don't always end up working out, even if you are selecting at the top end of the draft. But it's all of those second round picks they kept trading away, not accumulating extra draft picks in the later rounds. And that's why you've been in this state now where, hey, you've got some really high-end players, but what do you have supporting them? And that's the question the Canucks are trying to answer now is, how do we put a supporting cast around our franchise cornerstones while we have a shoestring budget because we're spending right up to the cap? That's more the issue than we just don't have anything here, which is where the Philadelphia Flyers are. They don't have second-round picks for the next two years. Doesn't that sound oddly yep. similar? Yes. They they traded them away uh, for Tony D'Angelo. Oh. And what was the other one? I, mean, I love my Italian brethren, but right. um, not they, not so much with Tony D'Angelo. They traded a 2024 second mm-hmm. for Tony D'Angelo, and they traded a 2023rd second for Rasmus Ristolainen. Those bills eventually Oof. come due, and they're now coming due, yeah. and they're looking at a version of, okay, this is probably going to take three, four years. And that... Honestly, like that might be putting it lightly because some of their contracts are just kicking in now. And you look at the situation and and how how do you kickstart a rebuild if you're the Philadelphia Flyers? The situation that the Canucks didn't end up playing out in 2015 where you trade as many of your top end players as you can for the extra picks and get really aggressive about turning it around quickly in the next two three year period much like the New York Rangers did even like the Boston Bruins did way back in what was it 2013 when you know they traded Lucic and Martin Jones and they got the extra couple of first round picks that's right None of those first rounders ended up panning out, but you well, know, Jake DeBrusque, uh, Jake DeBrusque worked out. They they did the hard reset, and they still were able to put a competitive team around Bergeron mm-hmm. and Chara for a late career push, and Bergeron's still there. But Philadelphia, you, like you're looking at a situation where you're trading almost anything you can to turn this around quickly. That's Provorov. That's probably Travis Sanheim. That's probably uh, Travis Konechny, who is I would say their best player right now. Sure. Which says a lot about their roster and where it's at and how far they need to go and tells you the whole story. But if you're the Canucks, and this is the conversation Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have already answered when they made the Philip Peronic trade, it's, well, we're not doing this around two elite talents like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. We have a number one center and a number one defenseman entering the primes of their careers. We've got to find a way to put pieces around them to make this better. And in fairness to Jim Rutherford, for as much of the arguing we've been doing over the direction the club took ahead of the trade deadline, it was a line he had last year, Bick, that maybe should have stood out more when we look when I look back in hindsight, should have stood out more when he said it. But I didn't think of it that way. With the right two or three players, you can mm-hmm. turn things around. With the right two or three additions, you can really get going on a better track. 
And since the Canucks already have Hughes, Pedersen, Demko, you throw in Heronic to that, now you're looking at a team that could realistically maybe not be a Stanley Cup contender just yet, but be in that playoff mix for next year. And that's essentially the bet they are making. And that's the fear, right? Like the fear is, do you make the type of moves that get you capped out? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, the phrase I've heard you and Sat say, just be right. Yes. And your transactions. So if you're wrong and you dedicate money to these players and then they're not good, yeah, you're capped out and you're like the Flyers are. So that's the flip side of the version of why are they like the Flyers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a version of it where it could end up looking like well, you have contracts. no cap, you're not good enough, and Pedersen says, you know what, I'm not signing an extension. Yes. Then then you're the Flyers in a couple of years. <laughs> that's how it goes bad. That's that's the nightmare scenario, right? That's, uh, that's what keeps you up at night if you're a Canucks fan. But, okay, so I know a lot of the conversation has been over the last day or so, you know, the difference between the Tockett bump and the Boudreaux bump. Um, the, the way I look at it, after last year and being sold the bag of magic beans that we were with Bruce, there it is. What could happen in these final 18 games that makes you more confident in the way forward for this team? Is there anything that can happen? Or are we just in September baseball right now where I don't care what guy is coming up from the AAA club and hitting 380 and jacking 13 bombs in meaningless baseball games? Are we just at that stage? There's someone very specific that you drafted way too early in fantasy the next year <laughs> that you're like, oh my goodness, this guy. Just nightmares of Alex Rios. There it is. There it is. Of the past. I knew it. Shout out to my guy, Alex Rios, though. Um, but after everything that happened last year, yeah. all the excitement, and even this front office didn't really believe in it, as they told us at the end of last season, but is there anything that could happen they're nine, seven, and two under Tockett right now. Is there anything that could happen in the final eighteen that makes you feel more confident in the way forward? In to put it this way, who would you project the Canucks to be better than next season if this sort of continues down the path of we're seeing a lot of good things, they're above five hundred, we're seeing more structure. Can you see the Canucks being or projecting to be better than somebody else next year. So let's break this up into two parts. Okay. Let's go Boudreaux bump versus Tockett bump. Mm-hmm. And and they're 9-7-2 and two now since yep. Rick Tockett has taken over. The thing with the Boudreaux bump versus this one is the motivation of the vibes. And I, I hate that I've kind of done this myself too, but some of Boudreaux's success has been reduced down to vibes. Yes. I've said it too. I've screwed up. Like, obviously, it's more than just vibes. There's there's real reasons why they had success outside of just, hey, Bruce is really good with players. He's a player's coach. Yes, Thatcher Demko played a huge role in that, and that was the number one reason why the Canucks had success. He was on an absolute heater, Vesna candidate, and... Everything that was going wrong for the Canucks in the first half of the season or the first 25 games yes. flipped. Started right? to go right. You know, they started scoring goals. The power play got better. The penalty kill figured itself out as the season went on. And uh, there was a constant. Demko was just unbelievable all season. So there was some X's and O's improvement. Yes. Ultimately, probably not enough because 
what just felt great about it all and what gets attributed to is the vibes, right? Mm-hmm. Like players felt confident again. That confidence going into an off season wears off. You come into the next summer or next training camp, there's issues and Oh, we're just going to pick up right where we left off. And it's tough to replicate what you felt all the way back in the spring. Yeah. So I know there's people shouting, well, if they're feeling confident now, why can't that also happen in September? You're right. The thing that happened, though, in the Boudreaux bump to where now is in the offseason, they made no changes to the defense. Yeah. So you're just bringing back the same group. That confidence is now completely dissipated. Not that it's gone, but Mm -hmm. you can't just rely on feeling good all the time. Yes. Eventually, you need talent. And even if you have the scheme correct, and I think the reason people are excited right now is, hey, they're playing with better structure. Sure. But they haven't invented new hockey. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to get to the start of the season. Everyone's flying, and people are going to go, wait, I'm up against a D pair of Burroughs and Juleson and <laughs> Guillaume Breeze was in the lineup. Christian like, Lannan. If they bring the same lineup back, yeah. this isn't going to work. Yeah. You can have all the structure in the world, but this isn't going to work come September. If they make changes, suddenly talent with structure looks a lot better. And had they made changes last summer, right. you probably don't get the start of the season. So they uh, the, the one move, the defense move that they would have made last year is Travis Dermott, who gets injured in training camp and doesn't end up playing and has only played a handful of games all year. This year, the move they've made is Philip Hronik. So you're looking at a decor of Hughes, Hronik, OEL Myers, Willannon, well, Willannon's not even signed beyond this year, Rathbone, Bear, Dermot, Bear. Dermot, Bear. Both are RFAs, but, you know, you have control over those players. Do you think that's what the decor looks like next year, though? Over under Let's one and a half changes. They they keep what they have okay. after adding Heronic. Yep. What what does that look like next year? How much better are they with that decor? With that one major addition? Your face says not good enough. They're again, <laughs> not good enough for what I think people ultimately want. Right. And I'm not saying one D man is suddenly gonna push them into Stanley Cup contention, but you're way more credible argument. To say, we have all these goals that we can score up front. Now we have three legit pieces on the back end, and we have Thatcher Demko. You're probably, their, their goal for next year should be get from where they are now yep. into the mushy middle. And as I've said, I think they can leapfrog most of the mushy middle next year. If done correctly, they hit on the right players, all this. Their goal should be try to get to the 10th best team. Somewhere between 10 and 13. Mm-hmm. Maybe 12. Yeah. But if we're talking two D-men, now you get up to that, you're pressing your nose against that top seven. Mm-hmm. And that's where they need to get. They need to get to that East six that any, I think we could make credible arguments for all six of those teams to win the Stanley Cup in the East. Like all six, yeah, the top six teams in the East. Yes. Yeah. We can make credible arguments. Yep. And then how many credible arguments can you make in the West? Colorado. Two? Colorado and Edmonton, right? Maybe Vegas. Who's you don't playing, buy it? Who's playing goal for Vegas? Do you really believe in Edmonton, though? I'll believe in Connor McDavid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It's hard. Like they got swept by Colorado last year, and, and Colorado's not I as good it. this year. Yeah. So I don't see the like. There's no juggernaut in the West this year in the way that there was last year. So that's maybe a point in favor of the Edmonton Oilers. But yeah, there's there's no. But there's no super team. Like their goal the for West. next year, if they make no changes, their goal for next year for next year should be get to that ten to twelve range. Yeah. If they get one more D man, probably that press your nose up against the glass to that next group. And if they start to jettison some bad contracts and continue to improve, that's when you're piercing that final group. And that that last jump is the hardest mm-hmm. to put yourself in that conversation where you look at those teams and we would say not only are they in that group. All those teams have staying power now. Yeah. Carolina, how long have they been around? Boston, they keep. I've been trying to throw dirt on Boston for so many years. <laughs> Toronto, yeah, they're not winning rounds, but they have staying power. Tampa, Rangers, the Devils now are here to stay. Devils are definitely here to stay. Rangers aren't going anywhere. To get to the group where you have staying power is the hardest jump to make, and that's probably two D-men away. On top of Philip Ronick. Like, yeah. two more. And it's hard to find that player in free agency. So you could talk about adding a, you know, <laughs> Klingberg or um, another Dan Milstein client <laughs> who we all know, Vladislav Gavrikov is going to be named a thousand times leading up to July 1. Right, but Gavrikov alone isn't going to do it. Yep. If you told me there was two, like if you, if you got a credible three and a credible four, mm-hmm. then okay, like we're talking about something here. But you don't have that yet. You don't have that yet. It's a lot easier to build out a third pair that you can manufacture ways for them to have success while they're on the ice, you know, shelter them to a certain extent. Heck, like the Brad Hunt-led third pair with Bruce Boudreaux last year had a ton of success Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the Canucks by the numbers and in actuality. But as we've seen, if you don't have that top four, you're in tough. And and, like I see the text coming in, it's like you're going to need... Strong third pairing guys, right? Of course, of course. Well, but I think like that Bear, Bear can be a fine third pair guy. That bit you you can find as you go along. Yeah, if you have a, like a real top four, and that's where like we want this team to push towards that staying power group. You get a real top four. Suddenly, like you can bring a Luke Shen back and be like, hey, eight hundred and fifty k, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like those types, and always going to be Luke Shen, but you can find those types a lot easier. Especially because they're not going to be elevated into roles now where it's like, you got to carry a lot of minutes. Like You can reduce the minutes and play 12 minutes a night for some of those guys. So this was a roundabout way of saying the final 18 games. It's hard to take anything really, not serious, but don't bet your house. On the final 18 games, whether they go well or not for the Canucks, don't bet your house on that continuing just because the coach seems to have made the right changes to the way they play. Mike and Willoughby, 650-650. It's already happening, creating an identity, playing smarter, playing with structure. All of it is important. None of it is relevant if we come back and it's, well, Landon, Breezeball, Burroughs, and... Well, I, 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 I think the bigger one is OEL Myers. Like, if OEL Myers is your second pair again next year... I'm sorry, I'm out. Right? Yeah. Like, they need to change the decor. And, and, and I think that's very unlikely. We're going to talk to Yannick, and yeah. what does Yannick mean say? He, I, I think he said, I told you so <laughs> earlier this week. Yes. You can't come back with the same decor mm-hmm. and expect different results. That, And I think that's the thing people are conflating. Be like, well, 
we keep doing the same thing. Why should we expect different results? And you're right. But they didn't make changes to the decor last night or last year, and they wear that. They have to make changes in, on top of Philip Peronik coming into this summer. I don't know how you add another top-end defenseman, though. Because you've already spent your assets. So you're doing it in free agency again, which we know is a place where more mistakes get made than successes are found. So that's the tough part for the Vancouver Canucks. We'll keep this conversation going. Keep your texts coming in. If you have a question, keep those coming as well. The mailbag is coming up after 5 o'clock. It's Stan Richo and Satya. No, not, Sat's not here. Uh, that was a lie. It's Dan Richo and Bick Nazar on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 15, oh, uh, 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Shows how great Kintech is and uh, also the power of the Sportsnet 650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and having the Kintech studio here as well. Uh, okay, so a lot coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, people want Shen to come back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe Shen will come back because his stuff is still here. Uh, he is uh, slated is to like, play for the Leafs tomorrow night. What do you think is the, like, where does that rank on the pitches teams can make to teams or teams can make to players? What's that? Like, the number one determining factor yep. in free agency is money. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. I think number two might be my stuff is here. <laughs> this is the easiest? <laughs> yeah. I think family's probably three. Yeah. And then where are you in your team build? Probably four or five. His family is also here. Yeah. So two and three. Massive. That is huge. Massive. For Luke Shen. But can we all agree like the Canucks have to do better than Luke Shen? As much as I like Luke. Well, Luke Shen is a number two guy, yes. They have yes. to do better. If Luke Shen comes back next year as the 6-7, then you're fine. I'm fine. But if the idea is like, Luke, we saved the locker next to Quinn Hughes, and we're like, I have some concerns about that. So because we we broached the subject, the Canucks don't have the assets to add to defense. And... The argument you made was if the Canucks don't add on defense, if they don't change the mix on defense even more than they already have with the addition of Philip Peronik, mm-hmm. then you can't realistically expect significantly different results next year. Right? Free agency is... Uh, I don't know if it's a barren wasteland, but it's um, typical to not have a lot of options in free agency. John Klingberg, Matt Dumba, Eric Johnson, Dmitry Orlov, probably the best option of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Going to get too much money and too much term as a 31-year-old. We all know and that. that's the point our guy Taze Five is making. Like, I'd rather pay cheap guys mm-hmm. than go out for Myers and OEL. Absolutely. How many of those guys strike you as Myers and OEL's types? And, and I know this is like the, the fallacy. It's like, yes. the next guy won't be like that. Like there typically were, when you sign them, you don't know that they are going to underwhelm. But Though were, that was the case with, with Tyler Myers. But, but there were plenty of warning signings of warning signs of Tyler Myers' game. Yes. 
of like here are reasons why you shouldn't do this. And a lot of those have come to fruition. Like I, I really like. Well, at the time they signed Myers, it was like we need you to be our best right shot defenseman. Yeah, and And he's not that guy. That was unreasonable ask. Yes, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. If if you're if you're signing Tyler Myers to be a four five guy, fine. Like I would have been okay with that. And at four five money, yes. But neither of those was the case. Like if Orlov's your number three, like Mm -hmm. I really like Dmitry Orlov. And again, it's gonna be tough to sign him to. Number three, D-man money. He was asking Washington for a five or six year deal. So probably at uh, five, six, ten, maybe. Uh, Shane Goss to spare. I'm good. (laughs) Oh, great. Another guy that can't play defense. Yeah. Not our guy. I'm good. (laughs) Damon Severson. Brian Dumoulin. More interesting. Yeah. Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves can be interesting. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov. Like, yeah. that's the, the, this is the list. You know, my guy Radko Gudis, who's going to be now finally too expensive, but I've always liked him. Scott Mayfield, good player. Troy Stetcher, you know, that's. There's a lot of. Okay, I will say about that list, mm-hmm. while there's not a lot of upside, I think there's a lot more safety in those players. There whereas, is. whereas Tyler Myers is both ends of the spectrum, right? It's like you can look fantastic one night, you can look terrible the next night. I think there's a lot of safe players in that group. Well, but you're you're, you're going to be paying a premium on safe. Gavrikov is a sweet player right now at 2.8 million as his cap hit. But if he's getting five after this summer, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe not. You know, like who wants to pay a guy who scores? You know. 15 points in a good year for him offensively. I know. Like, yeah, he's a defenseman. Doesn't need to score points. But uh, I, I don't want to have to pay defensemen that can't score points. <laughs> um, that that tends to be an issue for me. If the primary thing is defense. PKers. Yeah. I've, I've likened penalty kill to bullpens. Yes. You don't really build your, build your bullpen in the offseason. No. Or you don't pay a premium for it. You don't want to. You'd rather not have to. That's something you can build along the way, and you're like, okay, we have, we're actually in a championship year. Let's start acquiring bullpen. Let's if, find- if, if you have a good one off the start yeah. and it's cheap, fantastic. But how many teams have built their teams on the identity of penalty killing or bullpen? Mm, like nobody. Nothing. <laughs> you, can, you can have a good one. It can be the reason why you win late in the year. Yeah. But no one's like, I'm investing all my resources into penalty killing bullpen. Yeah. You know. Build out, um, build out your bullpen at the trade deadline, or make additions to your bullpen at the trade deadline. Why do we see so many depth defensemen go for larger prices at the deadline than what you would pay at any other point? Because teams are looking for those specific traits in a player to fill out those specific roles for a player, uh, or for a fit on your roster, and that's the situation the Canucks may find themselves in. But as it stands right now, it's really hard. Despite all of the uh, improvements they've made with Rick Tockett, it's really hard to see a bigger ceiling without a fuller picture of what the roster will look like for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Ottawa Senators are in town tomorrow night, Bick. And they've been really fun lately. They're really starting to go. A lot of their young players are coming along. Stutzla's having a great year. Brady Kachuk is, you know, playing that captain role really well. 
I don't, this might be a bit of a contrarian take because people are jumping on the Ottawa bandwagon right now. I don't see a large ceiling. Like, I don't see a very high ceiling for this roster. They pushed their chips into the middle of the table too soon. So while they have some nice young pieces, Mm -hmm. they are destined to live in the murky middle. Now that they've traded first round picks in consecutive years to brink at, I, I, I mean, I sure they could trade him this summer and like <laughs> try to recoup some of those assets if he's not willing to sign an extension. But if you're going next year, don't you need to brink it on your roster to help that go? But for, for the thing that you're worried about, I still don't see them being they, better than Tampa, Boston or Toronto next year. And they've already spent all their assets Mm-hmm. to get better other than cap space and free agents, which is always tough for Ottawa to attract in the first place. Yeah. I, I, I'd like the idea that they're not going to be better than Tampa, Boston, Toronto. Like yeah. I, I can agree with that, but I'll, I'll use that term again, staying power. Mm-hmm. Are they going to have the type of season where they can showcase that they have some staying power? And I, I think they have an arrow up in that mushy middle right. because – like Brady Kitchuk's 23 years old. Tim Sluts is having a year that I don't think enough people are recognizing because it's Ottawa. Yeah. It's 68 and 60, and he's looking explosive to it. Mm-hmm. He's looking like, remember when everyone talked about Lafreniere and Byfield? You should have been talking about me. Yeah. He's, he's having them that, that type of season. They've already locked him up. We were talking about, like, the like best part of stars. They the, have superstars. The best thing that Ottawa has done is lock up their young players. Norris is locked up. Yeah. The they, isn't locked up. They've uh, locked up. To continue with the baseball references today, they've gone the Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> and just like sign guys early, maybe risky contracts, mm-hmm. but you know, like that's the only way they keep their guys in Ottawa is pay them early, and that way they take the security rather than you know the bet of maximizing their earning potential later on in their career. Sure, sure, certainly. And now the Senators also have certainty of what their window is. Yeah. Like like once you sign your top two centers, franchise winger, and you've got Thomas Shabbat. All signed up. All signed up. So they've got Stutzla, Norris, Batherson, Kachuk. Shabbat, Zub. Shabbat, Zub. Um, All signed until 2027. Pretty good. So it's you're right. Still, it still doesn't feel like a cup contending core to me. But that the problem is, I, I guess it's hard for me to project that much higher of a ceiling for what we've seen already. And this team currently isn't good enough. Like Kachuk, where's where? What's the next step for Kachuk? Does Toots does Stutzla figure out how to play better at both ends of the rink? Does I mean, he become more of a five-on-five five producer than some, a power play producer? Making some songs, strong declarations on 23- and 21-year-old players here. Yeah. I just don't see it with the Ottawa Senators. 2025 is going to be their, their like, when it really starts and Boston and Tampa start sliding away and we'll see yeah. what happens with Toronto. But that's really, like, next year is going to be their plucky underdog year, their true one. I know some people have tried to pick them in years past and they, they just didn't have the defense. Yeah, next year is going to be the real like. Okay, let's try to be the annoying team mm-hmm. that gets to this next group. For, for instance, 
Well, the after new- you make the Debrinket and Chikrin trades, you're sort of like, hey, we better start winning in the next two years. <laughs> right. But because we've could spent they have many the New Jersey Devils for season. short-term success, assuming Debrinket or Chikrin does yeah. not resign in Ottawa. Could they have the New Jersey Devils season? Because they were also a sexy underdog every offseason. Right, right. Until finally they got another D-man and some functional goaltending. They make this big leap. Mm-hmm. They went from non-playoffs now that power six we're talking about. Can they be that? They have that type of season. They haven't traded that. Well, they finally made the big move. Mm-hmm. The Devils did with Meyer at the deadline, but it was already obvious at that point that they're a really good hockey team. Yeah, Ottawa made their moves before it was obvious that they were a good hockey team, and that's the problem I have with the way they've built this out. It's kind of the problem that we've been talking about with the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. you know, spending those assets before you've really proven you're an actually good team. And I'm not sold Shabbat or Chikrin. Either one of them is a true number one defenseman. I take Quinn Hughes without a shadow of a doubt over either of them. Mm-hmm. And Chikrin for me is more of a two, three guy with offensive upside Shabbat. I don't consider him like an elite defensive player and he's not an elite offensive player. So while he's really good, is there the ceiling that we see of other number one level defensemen, which he's being paid to be. And I don't see that with Shabbat, but what if they get two more number threes? Or number well, four. they need a right shot defense. Yeah, but they they do have. Shabbat, They're destined Chikrin, to trade for Tyler Myers Sanderson. this offseason. Like it just it feels like the perfect fit. <laughs> you're trying to if manifest Myers, it though. If Myers will accept the trade, <laughs> you're trying to manifest it. It's possible, but they they do have three real left guys. Yes, Sanderson, yep. Shabbat, and Chikrin. I kind of like that that they can now protect Eric Branstrom. Mm-hmm. They don't have to expose him and be like, you be the guy that takes it all, the puck-moving burden. If they wanted to play him with Chikrin. It's helped him out lately. Yeah, if they play him with Chikrin, that, that's kind of frisky. That's kind of fun. They need to find probably a goalie more important. Oh, yeah. What do they have in net? Talbot and uh, Mad Sogard, who's, a again, nice prospect. But they probably need the one like true guy. Like this Shouts is our- to my guy Kevin Mandalayas as well. There you go. I, and again, I like Cam Talbot, but he's 35 years old. He's a unrestricted free agent. Yep. They need a real succession planning goal. They get that. I think I think they'll start to make that push. And and the one thing I would say, as much as we're talking about, like, yeah, they got all these guys locked in. Mm-hmm. Don't they have some flexibility here? Like, why should they be beholden to Alex DeBrinkett? Right. Because Tim Stutz has made the jump. Brady Kachuk's made the jump. I... Part of it is, are they going to get an ownership group in there that's willing to spend to the ceiling as this window opens, mm-hmm. right? So you've got cap space, you've got some flexibility to work with, and you've got all your big guys signed. It's not often every day, like, you know, a guy like Claude Giroux says, you know what, I want to play for you, sign me up. Um, where else are they getting additions to this team? Because they need significant additions, and they've already traded major assets. They don't have a pick in the first three rounds this year. They don't have a ton coming. Yes, they've got Ostopchuk. Uh, not gonna, you know, <laughs> downplay the the Vancouver Giant because he's a really good player. But but honestly, like their their jet pool is pretty thin, 
outside of him. I like Bernard Docker on defense. They're, there's a they're right sort of like the man. Canucks, where a couple of years ago, the Canucks had started to graduate everybody, and now they're trading first-round picks, and there's nothing really coming anymore. Wait, who did the Canucks graduate? <laughs> the Canucks haven't graduated any prospects. Well, they graduated Pedersen, Hughes, Hoaglander, Besser. He's in the AHL right now. I know. I'm talking about two years ago, man. Right, but this is a deeper group that they've graduated Yes. Because we're talking about, like, Shabbat as a graduate. I'd rather be in the position of the Detroit Red Wings. Just because it's unwritten. Everyone's like, oh, cool, they have all this cap space, and now it's... People love, like, all the draft picks and all the cap space. I love love the idea of opportunity. Yeah, okay, but it has to look like a finished product at some point. Yes. And Ottawa just looks like a finished product. Your your problem is like, oh, there's a big obstacle. closer to looking like a finished product. Yes. But and I'm not I'm not loving what they're selling as the finished product. That's the point here. I think you just really do not like Tim Stutzla. <laughs> you think Tim Stutzla has Elias Patterson potential? Where did Elias Patterson We're talking about Detroit Red Wings. Okay. Is is he Dylan Larkin? I just made, you know, like a Swedish connection all of a sudden, very quickly. Yeah. Does he have Dylan Larkin potential? Yes. I think I think Dylan Larkin's scorer, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, as a scorer. Again, he's he's twenty one years old. Mm-hmm. Smart smart NHL players tend to figure it out. It's uh it's a tough one with uh with Ottawa. Uh this text comes in. Dan is obviously a jealous Leaf fan <laughs> with that take on Ottawa. Here's the list of twenty four and under. Stutzla, Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, Chikrin, Sanderson, Stud, Greg Sogard. Pinto, Shabbat is 25, going to lay a beat down on Vancouver tomorrow, Chris in Vancouver. I mean, I don't disagree with the idea of a beat down in Vancouver. Canucks have played a lot of teams that haven't had a lot of motivation lately, but and, and Ottawa definitely does not, or definitely has a ton of motivation. But I'm curious if this team ever graduates to being the level of the Leafs, the Bruins, so, or the Tampa Bay Lightning. So your concern is... Would they do it organically? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be so good that they'll topple over that big three, or will they get one of the big threes, the, the the big three seeds by default? One of those teams slides out. Yeah, and I think they're making that bet. I think Detroit's making that bet. I think Detroit's choosing to try to not compete with Tampa and Boston and Toronto. Yeah, I think they're choosing that next wave. And it's fine to do it that way. I think Ottawa's prepared to try to start entering that competition, but their, their window is going to start in 2025 mm-hmm. once it really starts to end for those three teams. All right. I'm not totally sold yet. We'll see what the next big move is for the Ottawa Senators, if they make another big move. Um because, again, they don't have a ton of assets to make that move. They're probably dipping into free agency and probably spending too much in free agency to make that happen. It's Dan Richo and Bick Nazar here on uh, Canuck Central. Uh, a couple minutes before the mailbag. Get your questions in for the mailbag. Dan Richo underscore on Twitter or 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, the Oscars are this weekend. I didn't know that until... Two days ago. Really? Two days ago you figured out the Oscars were this yeah. weekend? I didn't know that until today. Oh, wow. So the, the Chris Rock special came out last Saturday. Yes. 
I watched it and I was yes. talking about it with a friend. And I was like, "Hey, did you watch the Chris Rock special?" Blah blah. I was like, "Yeah, it's funny, funny, funny. It's pretty good. It was it was fine." And then, I don't love Chris Rock's delivery, but anyways, this is oh wow, that's a take. <laughs> that that's hotter than your Ottawa take. <laughs> okay. Woo! And then I was talking about it with a friend. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah he, he timed it perfectly before the Oscars." And I was like, "Oh, when are the Oscars?" Next week. Next weekend. Oh yes. So it's almost a year to the day that Chris Rock got slapped in the face. Man, you might hate his delivery, but he's a marketing <laughs> specialist. He timed that thing perfectly. Would it have been better the week after or the week before? I think the week before, right? The week before, definitely. Because now, now he gets to put all the pressure on the Oscars and say, did you hear the commentary of Chris Rock? <laughs> what do you think? What are you wearing? Who's getting slapped tonight? Yes. Uh, I, do, I don't know who uh, tonight. You don't I, think I don't gonna... know who's hosting this year? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, they asked Chris Rock to host, and he said no. He, wait, he said no. <laughs> Do they actually? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, for them, it's like here. Here's an opportunity. It'll make. I don't know if it makes them look better, but it. I got to admit, if I was Chris Rock and they asked me to host, I would say that's a slap in the face. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> How's it a slap in the face to be asked to host the Oscars? After that? Yes. Come on. Well, they're choosing you over Will Smith. <laughs> Will Smith is not in the running to ever return to the Academy. <laughs> this is true. Um, okay. Have you watched any of the movies? I've watched. So Best Picture, Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Anishrin, uh, Triangle of Sadness. I've seen that. The Fablemans. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, I've seen that, Elvis, and Tar. I've so heard I've seen of two. Four of those. You've only seen two? I've only seen two. Dom and I were going through this on the People Show, and I was like, oh, Reach has probably seen six of these. I've only really? heard of like three or four of them. And I, I'm pretty sure everybody's like, wow, you saw Triangle of Sadness? Who's seen Triangle of Sadness? Yeah, I had never <laughs> heard of that until today. I had watched... Uh, Is that about the Canucks? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good take. Uh, not quite, but it could be a movie about <laughs> the, the, the sadness Canucks fans have have endured. I'd watched uh, Top Gun and Everything Everywhere at All. How is Top Gun an Oscar-nominated film? Is it that good? Because vibes are a good. thing in But is it like good for an action movie, or is it like, wow, this is up for award consideration? I, I don't know. I watched it on a plane. So I don't know. Well, that's, that's like, pretty meta. Yeah, you know, I felt pretty good about it, but I don't know. It was like <laughs> had really you seen good story. the first Top Gun? Yeah. Oh, I don't watch a lot of old. Josh movies, is the big Gene Schwartz guy. So yeah, just like I gotta check out this. Uh, yeah, that's me. So look I, for my uh, fashion. I still love going to the theater, and you know, I, I saw Avatar: The Way of Water because it was like, well, if you're gonna watch it, you watch it at the theater, you know. But it was oh, like yeah. basically watching three hours of National Geographic. I think James Cameron gets a best picture nom because he's James Cameron. Um, Top Gun, hadn't seen it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Sounds like a lot of fun, but also wild. That's a movie? Seen that. Yes. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's really good. Okay. I, that's, that's one of the ones I watched. But all of these movies. Is that a Bob Cole biopic? It's all happening. Like Most of these movies don't feel like that's the movie I want to go see at the theater. Yeah. If I love going to a theater these days. It's because like, oh, there's going to be a lot of action and crazy special effects. That's why I need the big, big screen for it. I love going to the movie theater. Love it. I've not heard of any outside of like Top Gun and Avatar, <laughs> and and Banshees. Those yes. are the only three I've heard of. And yeah. 
It's kind of a state of, not, of life in, with the movie theater right now. Yeah, I'd rather go watch Cocaine Bear than any of these at the theaters. Oh yeah, Cocaine Bear. Can we watch it? it That'll fire. be nominated next year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's getting any noms, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I'll give it that. Um, <laughs> Raj and Maple Ridge Canucks PK is the triangle of sadness. <laughs> so uh, a, a while ago, I went to the theater just to like, but like didn't know what I was gonna watch. We we're just like, let's go to the movie theater on a Tuesday night. Cheap tickets. We'll pick something on the board and watch it. That's a bold call. And it was called Missing, and it was actually pretty good. I didn't know it was the sequel. It was a standalone sequel. Right. For Searching? Searching, yes. Yeah, I've, I've, it's been on my Netflix list for yeah. years. But it was like kind of a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, like I love that about movies. And I should do it more often on Netflix, where I just like pick a movie and watch it. Don't like research what its Rotten Tomatoes review is and all this yeah. stuff to see if it's an actually good movie. Just like, don't even watch the trailer. Just watch the movie. They have a random button. I should do that more often. Yeah. I pick something for me. With the random button, though, sometimes it throws in shows as well. Oh, it's really? It's a little annoying. Okay. But, oh. I mean, you can go until you find a movie. Yeah. We're getting a lot of uh, polarizing Banshees takes right now. <laughs> oh. This one, like Jay and Delta. It's really good. We had one earlier saying it's, it's yeah. one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Because uh, you guys were talking about it, right? On the uh, yeah, someone show? texted in saying it was bottom three worst movies they've ever Woo! seen. <laughs> Banshees. I- I've only heard good things. Wow, isn't it like? I've heard it's a very uh, specific story. It's just like one thing is that's whole... all stories. Dan. No, but like <laughs> it's about a guy who want, like is in love with a girl, isn't it? And that's it. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I haven't anyways. seen it. I didn't do a great job of explaining that. What a novel well, concept. Hold on, a love story? in love with the girl? <laughs> All right. Dan's just a guy standing in front of a movie board asking the movie to love him. Time for the mailbag. It's coming up next on Canuck Central.